my wife Christy and I, we, uh, we have uh, three children, and our middle son, Joel, got married five weeks ago. He got married to Kate, and Kate is, uh, is uh, just a delight. She's bright, she's articulate, she's got all sorts of gifts, skills, and abilities, and um, uh, she stood up at this wedding ceremony in front of God and all of these people. He promised to love her, and that's what we're reading in the scripture today. He promised to love her, and she promised to love and to submit to him, to submit to his leadership. And that's a very foreign concept in the world today, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit as we um, process through this day. A couple of things in their wedding ceremony that I just wanted to tell you about, one of which was their pastor, as he was preparing to marry them, they went through four marriage counseling sessions. And uh, on the third marriage counseling session, the subject of marriage, the meaning of marriage, what it looks like from a biblical perspective was to be unfolded. And so the pastor asked them, well, what do you guys think about marriage? And they, they know quite a little bit. They've got, a, they've got three seminary degrees between the two of them. So they, they knew every bit about the meaning of marriage when it comes to the practical application. But then the pastor said this, he says, but they have no clue what they're about to step into <laughs> because marriage is hard. And because relationships get messed up because of communication, and right? And so um, as they, in their ceremony, they actually sat during the reading of the word and during the, uh, the homily, and as the pastor was preaching over them, he was, he was standing here and he was talking to them, and he was talking about how hard it is. How hard it is because there'll be misunderstandings and miscommunications and, and, uh, and uh, the brokenness of man. We have a selfish nature. And he almost, I mean, everybody's like, man. And so, so you guys still want to do this? And of course they wanted to do it, right? So he calls them up front here. And, uh, and their first act, before they say their vows, before they exchange rings, before they, uh, they step forward into marriage, their first act is... Um, my son Joel took mud and he put it on his bride's face. And she took mud and put it on his face in recognition that I am choosing to marry a broken person. I am choosing to put on love knowing that you will certainly fail me. The pastor had articulated that you guys have no flipping chance of this thing working apart from God, but you're coming in the name of God, and it's in the name of God that you will have a chance. And so what we're going to talk about today is coming in the name of God. Let me ask this question. How many of you would want a home? How many of you would desire to have a home? How many of you have a home that's filled with peace, that's filled with honor, and that respect is the norm, that it's a home that's got rest in it, there's restoration when you come and a restored spirit when you go back, that everyone flourishes in that home based on their unique giftedness, Everyone's celebrated for who they are, that there's a sweet aroma about that home that it just magnetically attracts others to that home, that there's joy and there's contentment, and that joy and contentment replaced what used to be bitterness or anger or resentment or any number of things that Satan could have generationally passed on, that that home is missional. How many, how many would want to be a part of that home? 
by the grace of God, um, our home was not perfect. But that is the home that God has given us. And it's with humility that I stand before you to say, and to say that's the home that God will give you. That is the home that God has in store for you. Oh, for certain in heaven, but also here on earth. That is the home that God wants for us. Our home has not been perfect. I promise you it's been far from perfect. But it's the home that God built because we tried to apply his principles, which are very countercultural, as we'll talk about in a few moments. We've known little and we've known abundance. We've known better and we've known worse. We've known sickness and we've known health. Today, the message is largely about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, many of you are Christians. Not everybody here is a Christian. We recognize that. But many of you are Christians. And, and, and in becoming a Christian, you've said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want Jesus. I believe that I need Jesus for the salvation of my sins and for a life eternal in the presence of God. But to actually have Jesus be the Lord of your life, there's some overt, willful submissions that we need to to make or to take on to allow that to happen. So today's passage, as Christy read, is a delicate passage, and it's very, very ripe for misunderstanding. And most pastors don't like to address it. In fact, many of them um, don't address it at all. So just because this is being recorded, I want to make certain that Pastor Andrew knows that his decision to go kill Bambi this weekend, <laughs> rather than address this passage, is on the record. <laughs> he didn't say that. He, he asked me and he just says, you're an old guy and they're not going to shoot you at the end of the day. They might shoot me, but... Uh... So it's delicate because it's a contrary deal. Everything in our society, everything in our human nature would challenge this. Wives, submit to your husbands. We just chafe at that, right? Ladies, you know, husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. We're wired to love ourselves. We're selfish. And so everything in that is countercultural. Everything in that goes against our sin-filled nature. And yet, we believe that God has our very best in mind. And so the key question is this. Will we submit to the things of God? Will we say yes to the things of God? God has assigned unique roles between men and women, and we're talking about inside the context right now of a marriage relationship. They're not better roles or worse roles. They're not superior roles and inferior roles. And right now, as I said, we're inside the context of a marriage only to make the marriage flourish, to allow the marriage to be all that it can be. If you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. You don't have to, you're just good on this stuff. But if you are a Christian and you desire to have a maximized relationship with your spouse, if you desire your marriage to have that home that I described earlier, if you desire your marriage to be missional in some ways that others would be attracted to you to say, tell me about what goes on. I, I, it's, it's foreign and and it's very attractive in the best sense of the word. I want to know about that. If you desire that, then you will have to willfully say, I submit, men and women, I submit to the will of God 
Singles, uh, there's not a day to tune out by any stretch of the imagination for you. Although this is the context of marriage that uh, Paul is writing about today, um, all of us are going to be asked this question. Will you obey my word? Will you subject yourselves to the obedience of my word? I played small college football. Christy and I were raised uh, on the West Coast. I was raised in Seattle. She was raised in uh, Portland, Oregon. And, and, um, and as a part, I, I played defensive end. And um, in my role... Basically, I was a defensive lineman, right? And uh, in my role, my primary responsibility was to neutralize the offensive lineman. Periodically, we'd have a stunt or something like that where I got to blitz or something like that. But largely, my role was to neutralize the offensive lineman. And the reason that I was challenged with neutralizing the offensive lineman was because the linebacker behind me was then able to read and to see if the running back or the quarterback had the ball and then be able to go after and tackle that person, right? That's right. I was often tempted to just let that offensive lineman go because I wanted to go and get the quarterback or I wanted to go get the running back. But when I did that, the linebacker then got blocked and everything fell apart. Does that make sense? Everything fell apart when I didn't do my job. But when I did my job, neutralizing the offensive lineman, the linebacker could come off of that and to make the play, and pretty often, regularly, uh, we'd get, a, we'd get a, either a loss or no gain. So when everybody does their job, according to what God has assigned, things work very, very well. When they don't, there are breakdowns. So there's three kinds of relationships that uh, Paul has written about in, uh, in uh, Colossians chapter 3 here, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's the first relationship, wives and husbands. There's also a relationship between children and parents. There's also a relationship between bond servants and masters. Let's focus on uh, wives and husbands first. Um, we'll, we'll kind of take them two at a time. Um, and it's been very important that we are clear about what the narrative, the global narrative of the Bible says and what it does not say. So let's be very clear about these things. This is what it says. Um, the Bible at large says this, for those of you who are unfamiliar. Um, number one, that both genders, male and female, are created equal before God. Completely equal. There's no superiority or no inferiority. We are created completely equal. And that we have a promise that we are heirs of an eternity in the presence of God together. And all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities come with that. Not just for men, not just for women, but for each of us, we have that promise from God. In additionally, um, I want to say this, that the admonitions that Paul is talking about right now. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We're talking about wives and husbands. We are not talking about men and women. We're talking about a specific subset of people who are married and who are married to one another. So here's what it does not say in the Word of God. It does not say women submit to men. It's very very important that we understand that because the political pundits out there, Hollywood, they'll, they'll just try to, they'll try to flip this thing. There is nothing in the Word of God that says women submit to men. The Scripture says wives submit to your husband, singularly. 
The scripture does not say that men are superior to women. You know, I, I, it's just, it's, it's virtually disgusting to watch most Super Bowl commercials or anything else because it makes guys out just to be these Googling, no-brainer, you know, just foolish guys, right? And women objectified in any number of ways. Men are not superior to women, and so don't think that because of what Paul has written here that that's what he's suggesting. He's not suggesting that. And third... It does not say that women can't lead or have significant roles of leadership and influence within the home and within the workplace. There is, ladies, there is nothing in God's equation that wouldn't say you can, you can absolutely take, take the world. Nothing. So be encouraged by that, be edified by that, be instructed by that. And anybody that wants to say, oh, Christians, you guys are domineering and you don't, that's just a lie from the pit of hell. So understand that. Celebrate the graciousness of God and, uh, and his roles. So submission, so what's it look like? Well, I, I've only been married to one person, but I, I can observe firsthand the relationship that Christy and I have had, and so I'm going to do that. I'm just going to make some observations about what, what uh, submission has looked like within our home. Number one, submission is an act of the will. Wives, submit to your husband. Submission is an act of the will. It's an attitude. It is not a burying your head in the sand. It is not having no voice within the marriage. It is not blindly abandoning the ship or disengaging the mind, heart, soul, or spirit. It's a proactive choice. It's a choice that says, I'm making a conscious decision to yield to my husband's leadership, trusting God, not trusting my husband. I'm trusting my husband, no, certain, no, no uncertainty about that, but I'm trusting God that he I'm willingly choosing to honor God's best for our marriage because that's what God has asked me to do. I'm choosing obedience. That's what God has asked me to do. Practically, how's that played out in a Christian marriage? How's it played out in our marriage? Everything comes down to communication. When we communicate well, our relationship flourishes, and when we don't communicate well, our relationship doesn't do so well. And it's really about our relationship with God. When we're in relationship with God, we flourish. When we're not in relationship with God, selfish nature raises its ugly head and it takes off. So we talk pretty much about everything. Virtually all the decisions that we make, uh, when we can, we try to decide them together. When we can't land on something, when we, we're just, there's, a, there's an impasse for, um, for most things in our married life, we just don't act. We choose to hold off. If there's no unity whatsoever, we choose to regroup. And how that manifests itself is for us, we just choose to pray. We may pray for 30 days or for six months. We had an opportunity, um, not an opportunity, we were looking to buy a, a house. I'm a big guy. I want a big house. Christy's a smaller person. She wants a smaller house. I got a big ego. I want a big house because I want a big payment. She's smarter than me, and she wants a small house that we don't have to be so strapped. Guess who's right in that equation? <laughs> Men, for those of you who are married, it's not a joke. It's a matter of fact that the only time 
that the word, the, the implication about the Holy Spirit of God, God speaking into your life, the only other, when God talks about the Holy Spirit, the only other kind of marrying up of that term um, is when he talks about the, the spouse, the wife. So I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that I look at Christie's words of edification, affirmation, instruction, and sometimes um, just outright calling it out like it is, as God's word to me. And I listen intently. And I wish that I could say that for 32 years I've done that. But, uh, but I've got some um, scars on the back that uh, would say that I didn't always do it well. But I promise you this. I believe at the core of my being that men, wives, have, are, are the mouthpiece largely of the Holy Spirit of God. And so pay attention to that whenever you can. At times, when there's no unity, but a decision needs to be made, I want to buy a big house, she wants to buy a small house, we can't land on anything, we wait, and we pray, and we wait and we pray. And there was no immediately having to buy a house, although interest rates are floating up during that conversation period in our lives. We're feeling a little bit of that pressure. We waited. And at some point, God delivered. At some point, he delivered a house that was big enough that I was comfortable in, was small enough that she was comfortable in, and right where we should have been, right? Most of the time, what happens is we just kind of push through. Well, let's just get this thing done. Let's just land this thing, right? It is beautiful when we wait. The child, the baby, when the, when the, when the baby is born at the right time, it's a beautiful thing. To try to birth that child before it's time, it is not a beautiful thing. Right, ladies? Right? As a matter of fact, 99% of the time in our marriage life, we will, uh, we will have unity, and if we don't, we'll seek clarity. And on the 1% of the time, when Christy has to submit to me because we don't have an answer, on the 1% of the time that, that a decision needs to be made, and she says, you're going to have to call this. I have to call it for the betterment of our family. I have to call it for the betterment of our children. And I have to call it knowing that I'm going to be accountable to God. For the 1% of that time, men, um, when your wife submits to you, pray and fast. Get others involved in the conversation. Do whatever you can to gain clarity on, uh, on the perspective. And then make the decision. We had one of those eight, eight and a half years ago. Um, I had a job that came to an end here, and for the better part of a year, there was no panic, but I did not have a job, and uh, we knew that we needed to ultimately get a job. Um, a friend in Chicago called and asked me to um, take, take on a job, and I'm like, I don't want to live in Chicago. You know, I, I don't, definitely don't want to move our kids who are uh, going in first year of college, senior year in high school, and, and uh, sophomore in high school. That's not a good time to move kids. I, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. For the better part of a year, we sat on that conversation. At some point, I needed a job. I needed, I needed a job. And uh, that seemed like, for all practical purposes, the, the right job, the best job. We, I absolutely believe that it was the right job. But, you know, as, we, as I announced, I called our kids. Uh, I called Christine. I said, she's like, I don't want to move, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. And, and ultimately, she says, I will submit to your authority on this. 
I will submit to your leadership on this. Well, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm asking for people to help. Ultimately, I have to make the call. God gave me the role to make the call. I make the call, and in that call, I ended up traveling, and I was on the phone, and I wanted to talk to our kids individually, and, and I told our son and daughter, Joel and Hannah, I said, um, we're going to move to Chicago. And um, sophomore and senior in high school, they said, uh, hope you and mom have a nice time. <laughs> they want to go, right? And so they, they kind of they challenged and challenged and challenged, but ultimately, particularly our daughter Hannah, who we were most concerned about, ultimately, she got to a place of peace in her mind. We're going to talk about children obeying your parents a little later. She got to a place of peace in her mind where she said, if it's going to be good for my parents, if God is going to honor it for my parents, then it's going to be good for me, and so I'm going to, I'm going to do that, right? Um, that is not an easy decision. I suspect most of the time those are not the cases that, uh, that you have to make that 1%. But when you do, do it with prayer and fasting. Um, in the rare case that uh, Christy does submit to my decision, it's not because I'm smarter. It's not because I'm more capable. It's because we believe that wisely we need to mutually defer, defer to God's wisdom and the directives. So he says this, wives submit to your husbands. We pay attention to that. The ramifications that I've experienced of Christy submitting to me. I take very seriously my role as the leader of our home. She's going to put her trust in me. I do not want to screw that up. The respect that I've received from my wife causes many of my friends to want to know what it is about your relationship. What it is about your relationship with God that you guys do because it it attracts people. Her submission has resulted in hundreds upon hundreds of days of intercessory prayer for me. She has given up lots of time that she could do any number of other things to pray for me and, frankly, candidly, um, to literally lift me out of the pits of despair. Her submission has provided tangible, God-given grace when I've messed up. It's okay. I believe in you. We're going to be fine. Her deference to my thinking, it often includes our children. She shows remarkable respect for me in front of our children and ultimately causes our children to be very secure in our marriage, right? that they're not concerned about our marriage. Ultimately, submission of the wife to the husband, you know what it really translates to? Is, is respect. And ladies, you will just have no idea how desperate men are, not like you owe me respect, not that kind of attitude, but just it's just such an edifying thing to have the person that's closest to you to say, I respect you. In the quietness and the confidence of your own relationship, I respect you. Men long for respect. Men have a need for respect. It fulfills one of the deepest heart needs of a man to feel esteemed. And whatever a guy would say, the truth is that the world is hard. 
and submission, at least for this guy, feels like I've got a cheerleader who's rooting me on, who's trying to encourage me, trying to celebrate when I do well, and trying to provide grace when I don't. It's like God in my, in my life through my wife. Ladies, if you have a husband who's trying to be godly, trying to provide biblical vision and support, encourage him, spur him on. And if his leadership, if your husband's leadership is not so good, don't sit back. Find ways to help him grow. Find ways to engage him with other guys. Find ways to pray him into the kingdom. But don't quit, don't quit on him. You never know the value of prayer. Persevere. I was with, Christy and I were with somebody a week ago, and, and she persevered with him for 23 years. And he was just not a good guy. He was not a good guy in any way, shape, or form. But he ultimately surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And now their marriage is good. It's, it's got 23 years of baggage, but it's good. I wouldn't say it's thriving yet, but it's good. I'm very grateful for that. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Men, listen up. I'm coming after you straightforward. I'm going to encourage you to download what I'm about to say. And I'm not pulling any punches. Your wife is not your possession. She is God's grace poured out upon you. She is to be protected by you. She is to be guarded by you. She is to be nurtured by you. And she is to be cherished by you. Ephesians 5 said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. What's that look like? What's that? It's little things like picking up your socks. It's little things like putting your dishes away. It's little things like making sure that the oil is changed in her car. It's little things like making sure she's got a battery that will not die. It's little things like men with young children at home offloading the kids. It's not daddy playtime. And, and I promise you, men, pay attention to this. If you've got young kids at home, do not let your kids stay up late at night because your wife, because you think it's just real fun. You know, oh, we'll be fine. No, 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 no. Put them to bed. <laughs> Make them take a bath and put them to bed. Provide a safety net for her financially. Pray with her. Be an engaged listener. Guys, you can only do one thing at a time. I know I'm one of you. But listen. Look her in the eyes. Men, it's on you to be the provider, the protector, the prophet, and the priest. Provide for a living. I'm not implying that women should not, should not uh, work for a living. I think there's, that's fine. But men, it's on you to be the provider the primary provider of income. And if you're not doing that, figure that out. It's on you to be the protector. The protector of all things, of her eyes, of her emotions, physically. Lock the doors at night. It's on you. It's not on her to lock the doors at night. 
It's you to be the prophet, the person who sees into her life. You work hard to encourage her, to say, I really see this in you. I see you do well at this. I, I, I really want to, I want to push, I want to, I want to blow wind in that sail. Believe in her. And it's you to be the priest, the provider, the protector, the prophet, and the priest. It's for you to provide the leadership, the spiritual leadership. Guys will often say, well, my wife's kind of the spiritual leadership of our home. Why? Why is the wife the spiritual leader of the home? It's on you, men. It's on us. So there will be a time when you need to repent before your wife about allowing her to do what God has assigned to you. You, I'm sorry I got a little emotion about that, but I see so many guys that are just laying flat. Robert Lewis, some of you know him, he, he says it this way, reject passivity, men. Your tendency is to be passive. Reject passivity. Adam was passive in the garden. Reject passivity. Accept responsibility. Lead courageously. Your wife wants you to lead well. And recognize that you can't do any of that on your own. You need God. So looking to God in all of that. The Amplified Bible says it this way. We are to love our wives with affection, sympathetically, selflessly, and always seek their best. So we need to have the mindset of Jesus that um, Pastor Ben read about earlier. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He humbled himself. He became obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Men, take the lead. Take the lead in family prayer. Take the lead in studying God's word. Take the lead in worship. Take the lead in service. Take the lead. And then it says this, do not be harsh with them. Harsh words, threats, intimidation, unkindness, physical violence, that is not of God. None of that is of God. And if that's your pattern, because you got that passed on to you generationally, because that's what you got from your dad and his dad got from his dad, I just implore you, stop it. Break that curse. Get some help. Confess it as sin. God's word says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Do not be harsh. Harshness crushes the spirit and it'll close down that which is just desiring to flourish. Replace that harshness with, with loving words, with kind words, with a touch, with a smile that builds up, that edifies. Be the umbrella, men, be the umbrella of protection over your wife and over your children. A friend of ours, um, he, uh, he, he played Major League Baseball, and um, he doesn't play right now, but he has a kind of a, a relationship with the Chicago Cubs. He's not a member of the Cubs. He's not on the staff of the Cubs, but he does some things around the Cubs. He was not a part of the Cubs organization in the truest sense of the word when the Cubs won the World Series a year ago. Having said that, um, 
the Cubs gave him a World Series ring. So he's got this beautiful World Series ring. A friend was telling me this on Friday. And Scott, is his name Scott Sanderson? Scott said, um, you know, I didn't deserve this ring. I didn't do anything to deserve this ring. And, and it's a lot like the grace of God. I did not deserve God's grace in my life, but I have it. So, wives, God has asked you to submit to your husbands, not because they've earned your submission or not because they've earned your grace. In fact, it's largely undeserved. But your willingness to give respect is out of your submission to the Lord. And men, you're called to sacrificially love and cherish your wife when she's not lovable, whether she respects you or not is again an act of submission before the Lord. Does that make sense? I'm going to move on to the second one. We're not going to spend quite as much time on the next two, but um, the relationship between parents and children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord's. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So parents, our, our job is you largely are representatives of the Lord, right? You're the representatives of the Lord. It's up to you to represent the Lord well with your kids. Uh, Christy raising our kids would tell the kids, I'm God's ambassador for you. I'm God's ambassador for you in our home. So when I ask you to obey, I'm really God's spokesperson asking you to obey. This is what it looks like. Children, obey your parents. We're upstairs and the kids are downstairs and we call on a child and the child says this. Jonathan, Jonathan, What's the typical response of a kid? What, right? <laughs> when God calls on us, what's our response of God? Garth, Garth, does God want me to say what to God? Nah, he doesn't at all. You know what he wants me to say? Here I am, coming. We need to train up our kids along those lines. Our, our training up of our kids is raising disciples, is raising adults that are going to be following after God. The word says, fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't embitter your children. Don't discourage your children. Men, again, this is the second time we're admonished not to be harsh with our wives. Now we're admonished not to embitter our children. It says something about the nature of man. We can't be harsh with them. In fact, we need to be tender with them. We need to handle them with care. We need to handle them with a loving and yet firm discipline. We need to be their cheerleaders. Dads, particularly, you need to be your child's cheerleader. Of course, women as well. But see them. See those children. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're really good at. Nothing like those powerful words. Finally, I'm going to move on to... Uh, our last subject matter, bond servants, obey in everything those who your earthly matters, earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. We don't live in a world where there are bond servants, but we do live in an employee world, an employer-employee world, right? If you're in a role of leadership, how do you find ways to edify? How do you find ways to encourage? How do you find ways to believe in? How do you find ways to lift up? rather than to be a discouragement. If you're an employee, how do you find ways to go above and beyond without losing complete control of your work-life balance in such a way that you're working not for God, 
not for man, but for God and for the glory of God. I just want to encourage us, men and women of God, we have so much that we can glean from this passage and from God's word at large. We need to study it, we need to apply it, and we need to see what God would do in the blessing of laying our, laying our whole lives trust before him. Does that make sense? Okay. We, were, uh, we have the opportunity to step into communion today. Can I call our worship team forward? Um, what we're going to do is I'm just going to take just a couple of moments to pray, and then um, we're going to have communion by intention today. Um, some of the things that I've said have convicted you. Some of the things that I've said have caused you to say, wow, I've got to do a course correction. Some of the things that I've said have caused you to say, I need to repent, right? I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer where we're going to actually just kind of get our hearts right before God as it relates to that. And then um, we will uh, go into a time of communion. Uh, here at Park, a time of communion would be one such that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, um, you can celebrate. You can celebrate the reality that you are in Christ. And we do that. One of the ways that we do that is we take communion, holy communion, where we take the bread and the wine and we recognize the brokenness of Christ's life for us. We recognize the shed blood of his life to make us right before God uh, in, in the only way that we can, believing in Christ. For those of you who are not believers, maybe today's the day that you'd say, you know, God, I've been resisting you long enough. And so as I pray, I'll give you the opportunity to just say, God, I want to be right with you as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for the instruction of your word. God, we pray for courage just to step into how you would have our lives orchestrated. And to the extent that we don't or haven't or sometimes miss, we seek your forgiveness. And to the extent that we don't even know how, God, we seek your guidance. So help us to live um, as men and women who are wholeheartedly committed to you, pleasing you, honoring you in each of our roles as uh, singles, um, seeking to honor you, as married individuals seeking to honor you, as those who are once married and not in a married relationship right now, God, you know the complexities of each of our lives. Lord, right now, we just ask that you would be the Lord of our lives and for the, the one or two or four that are in this congregation right now who do not know you, Lord, um, we would just ask um, that they, they might consider this prayer. God, I need you. God, I rep repent of my sin. God, I have no idea what you will do, but I step in faith. And I ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. God, I thank you for your grace. So, Lord, to the extent that that is the prayer of one or two here, that is the prayer of uh, someone's heart, would you seal that? Would you affirm that? Would you encourage that? And, Lord, for um, those of us who are in you, as we now step into communion, we ask for your 
blessing upon our time that we might be strengthened by the meal and um, edified in the fellowship of our believing friends around us. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.